0: Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John,
1: and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye.
0: That's right, and to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. A what? Drinking game! That's right. We are a positive criticism podcast. We don't like people getting lazy and negative for the sake of of sounding smart. So if you try to say something smart and it comes out stupid, or if you're just downright mean or negative, you are going to hear this sound. Drink and that bitch. means that we have to drink. And therefore we adjoin, we we ask you all at home to join us in drinking as well. <laughs> what are you laughing at?
2: <laughs> so oh, pour
3: yourself the glass, join us and give it up the films you love, and perhaps a film that needs some love this week.
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking about some films from the year 1976. Good a fantastic film year. Good film year, year in film. Fantastic year in film. But first, let's send it right over to John for our weekly shout outs.
1: Shout outs. All right, as usual, we're going to give it up for our beer sponsor. He's based out of Queens, New York. His name is Carlos Barozo. You can give him a follow on Instagram. The handle is CBarozoBar2019. That's CBARROZOBAR2019. And as always, the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Free. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Free downloads free. from
1: Dasein,
3: Those, the those, those, those tracks are like an away. hour long too, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this Literally is a real deal. Go give it a shot. Got- Oh, my gosh. Jeff, back to you. We're going to be talking about some awesome movies from 1976. It really, really was a fantastic year in film. We're not just saying that because we are forced to talk about it. We chose, as you can see in the title of our episode, some incredible films that maybe the AFI Top 100 list has taken a keen liking to. And then a third film that the AFI did not um but <laughs> first let's go around the horn with a what you've been watching and or any news that you want to share shall we start with you Dave sure
3: I'm uh, I've kept raised by wolves going on HBO That's um awesome. it I saw a review come out for it this week where they really slammed it and I'm, I just want to say that they can uh, obviously they watched the first three episodes and then tuned out because this thing just gets better as mm. it goes yeah. and it really it's really. really it's really it's really slow to get go Eases ease you in but geez it gets better as it goes so awesome. I, I feel like that was horribly misreviewed and also do you yeah. hear uh regal might be closing down all their cinemas again Ugh, holy shit yeah um their their parent company is uh pulling all their cinemas across the uk and possibly doing much to that to most of them in the us as well oh my god like shutting the doors wow great man yeah that's that's my news that's and crazy. what i, watched. I mean
1: the crazy not crazy right yeah i mean that makes sense yeah right? interesting like, that's, times that's start happening. yeah
3: i mean they they say that amc's got about six months left before they'll have to raise more capital so we'll see how we go but if you lose the two big theater chains, i mean when we come out of this hello mom and pop theaters but if they survive hello mom and, pop. and what we were talking about a few weeks ago with the uh I still
1: think the streaming services are going to take that an opportunity and just oh, dominate. Yeah. Like they're yeah. already on top, they're going to just start buying their own shit and exhibiting their own stuff, and we're going to have to choose between which.
3: <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll see Disney. Yeah, yeah you'll see Amazon Disney theater theaters and the Netflix, Netflix theaters. Theater. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So that's going to be weird, but whatever. Hopefully, you're right, and the mom and pop theaters will rise again. We'll, we'll
3: see where it ends up.
1: Yeah, I watched. um, I watched the last season, uh, the most recent season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I had not (laughs) caught up on recently and had a wonderful time. Those guys are still funny. I don't know how they're doing it. (laughs) Still funny. And I finally watched um, the movie In Cold Blood. I've been talking about that so long. I'm ready to move on with that in my life. But I finally watched the movie. The film is wonderful. Holy crap. Um, I had heard a lot of people say really interesting things about it just in my life and film and stuff. I wanted to read the book first. Anyone who doesn't feel like reading the book, I will pitch the shit out of this movie. It was so interesting. They did a lot of really groundbreaking stuff. Still shot in black and white, even though I think it came out in the late 60s. But it's uh, really wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And then obviously I watched these three. How about you, Jeff?
0: I actually watched more than I thought I would. I I have a pretty busy fall going on. I am certainly not going to watch as much this upcoming week as I have a couple projects due in my graduate studies, but I watched all of... Broadchurch season three.
2: Mm.
0: It was really, really cool. Uh, the ending was not great. We talked a lot last week about endings and whether or not they're how important they are. And to be honest with you, the ending, mm-hmm. it's it's wrong. The person they said who did it didn't do it. Oh, I'm no, sorry. They're, they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong. But whatever. it's over, <laughs> I, was, I enjoyed the ride and it was great. So I love that. So we did that. Um, we did, we started the series on HBO with Pat Oswalt and his now deceased wife, where they're trying to track the California, the mm-hmm. Golden State killer, yes. or rapist and killer. Yeah, I talked about it. And, and we watched the, fir- the dark. Have you seen you it? Did. Have you did. seen yeah. the end of that yet? No. So we watched the first episode and we okay. went, we just watched all of season three of Broadchurch Church is about, it's about rape, yeah. sorry. And, and so immediately we watched episode one and it was all about rape and we were like, okay, we, we need a different, we just need a different subject matter this week. Um, so we finished Pen15, which is a comedy. Mm. And then um, I watched number one on Netflix this week is a movie called American Killer, The Family Next Door. And they use primarily footage, actual footage that was either Facebook Messenger or uh, police body cams or surveillance cameras. So they it's a documentary of a true crime that actually happened. And they they use real footage. It's not even doc- like most documentaries, they have to go back and they have to pay actors to do reenactments and stuff to like and they try wow. to make it look artistic. But this that they actually have them and and the wife um, of, of the guy who goes missing was a kind of you hate to say it, but she 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 was on social media too much. And so there was tons of content of her and the kids like leading up to when they go missing that they stole from their they, they took from their Facebook messenger. Wait, this so is this isn't a
3: documentary did, oh, about Carol fucking Baskin, is it?
0: no <laughs> buzz <laughs> yourself <laughs> for giving <laughs> it no but but anyway so i watched that it's 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 if you if you're a sucker for that genre i am kind of thinking about like narrative films when you know you can just basically hire a really good editor to edit together really good you know a, it's a good narrative even though it's real and it's a documentary it it kind of reads like a narrative like i, I there was a part of me thinking like is this Am I being manipulated? Was I lied to? Was I wrong about this? And somebody actually paid actors that made it look like, you know what I mean? So, something to think about in it's the narrative. Really world. funny
3: that you watched that given the second movie we're talking about tonight.
0: No, I know. I mean, this whole, <laughs> yes, uh, you're 100% right. Um, that's it. No other news. Did, is there anything you wanted to say about I'll Be Gone in the Dark that I brushed over or. No? No? No. Nope. Google, cool, cool, just check it out. cool. I so thought anyway, it was worth
1: watching. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll get back into it. But anyway. We gotta move on, people, because so, yeah, we gotta discuss, discuss do it. Let's this little known film. All right, so we'll talk about the films that are in the episode title in a second. 1976 in film, number one at the box office. You guys' guesses? Hmm. I love that you don't check. This was is like rocky? Week in a rocky and roll. but I'm really happy. Yeah, it was rocky for sure. <laughs> 59 point, $55.9 million in 1976, which I imagine would be. A lot more than that today. Number two is A Star is Born. I think this is the third installment of A Star is Born, or the second. <laughs> yeah. Chris, Chris Christopherson. Um, You've got King Kong, another reboot, at number three. You've got Silver Streak. Hell yeah. Um, all the President's Men at number five. Uh, the Omen, which, by the way, I think I said it a couple weeks ago. The Omen, the original Omen, might be my favorite horror movie of all time. That was on our short list for films that we were going to do this week. Yeah, it was the close. Uh, the Bad News Bears. The Enforcer, Search of Noah's Ark and Midway, other movies that I've never heard of and to care about. Um, When it comes to the Academy Awards, so it's funny looking back on it, because this is going to be the year that we remember Taxi Driver getting snubbed. Um, And Network won a lot of acting awards. That's probably what's going to be remembered for it, but Rocky winning Best Picture and Best Director is going to... It's it's definitely something that kind of, you know, especially to film fans. Rocky winning best picture and best director. Scorsese wasn't even nominated for best director for Taxi Driver. Yeah. So, you know, and Sidney Lumet, he's awesome, but he I think he he probably had already won maybe for Dog Day or something else. So, you know, he Sidney Lumet, de- Sidney Lumet directed Network. Um, All the President's Men was up, and and Rocky wins everything. So if we were to go back in time and and redo the Oscars, I don't know if Rocky would win all of these. But having said that, it is an awesome film. It really is fantastic. And the rest of the series is certainly fun, but the first film really, really is tight. Um, Other than that, you got Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier. Uh, You've got Carrie. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got uh, Bound for Glory. Uh, a couple other familiar ones, but with Network, Rocky, All the President's Men, and Taxi Driver at the top. I mean, you're already like, this is in the canon of great film years. Any other films that stood out to you guys?
1: Logan's Run
3: is awesome. Yeah.
0: The TV series
3: cool. is pretty good, too. I had a special place for that as a kid. Nice. I, don't, yeah.
1: I, don't think,
0: I
3: didn't know they made it into yeah, there's it. I think it's a two-season TV series. As well. Oh, yeah?
2: yeah.
1: But no, I think See those are the main movies. So. <laughs> yeah. Good luck.
0: All right. Well, let's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think those so, are the main so ones. 19, seven, yeah. I mean, but again, it, it's kind of crowded at the top, if you will, for those like five, six, seven movies, if you count the Omen and such. And then, you know, nowadays you have 20 films that are like independence ish films that are awesome. It, it's that didn't happen too much in the 70s, but these are these are bangers that are really going to ball. So the first one we're going to talk about is Taxi Driver, obviously. And then we're gonna talk about network, which is fantastic. Uh, We're we're gonna go ahead and and say right off the bat, we do know that we are living in a time where the press is under constant scrutiny. And it's both Taxi Driver and Network have a lot of political under and overtones. So, you know, we're we're realistic in the time we're living in, but we are gonna stick to the film aspect of it. But these are cultural phenomenons that very much are political films. So we're gonna be, you know, we're going to be aware of that moving forward. I'll put it that way. And then finally, we're going to talk about stay hungry, which if you've never heard of, think about this cast, Jeff Bridges in his twenties, Sally Field right around the age of 30 and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who gets billed as introducing Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had already done Hercules in New York, Mm -hmm. but he still was sort of up and coming. Although he was a Mount a lip mount. um, he, He was a Mr. Universe winner already by this point. Um, But yeah, Sally Field, Jeff Bridges, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Stay Hungry as our redemption film, or was it really that bad? So stick around for that segment as well. But first, we should get into Taxi Driver. Um, I'll just read briefly the IMDb blurb, which is, a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute. That is Taxi Driver starring Robert De Niro in the the iconic role of Travis Bickle, directed by Martin Scorsese. Jodie Foster is introduced in this and giving her um what will go down as one of the greatest child actor performances of all time you've also got albert brooks peter boyle um you've got sybil shepherd incredible cast harvey keitel who would like to get started with taxi driver and how much do you want to talk about how shitty of a movie it is i'm kidding (laughs) the movie's awesome um anybody want to take it from there
1: uh, when was the last time? Let me kick it off with this question. When was the last time you guys watched this movie?
0: All the way through is with you in the apartment. We we watched that like five or six years ago. This this one slipped through the cracks yeah, for yeah, me. I'd never two. seen it.
2: What?
1: Yeah. Holy get, shit. You're going what? first, dude. You're going first. You're going yeah, first. Yeah, talk get to me, the fuck dude. out of here. What was that like? What was that like after having you know, obviously I'm sure it's built up a lot culturally. Like, did it live up to your expectations? Oh, did it I, surpass I, I it? It did. Yeah fuck yeah dude <laughs> okay, cool. yeah talk like about
3: they're it. like, Go like for it. At one like there's half my notes here are missing there's a giant fucking gap because i just stopped i'm like you, yeah like yeah. we call ourselves a pot of positive criticism podcast that only works if there's something to fucking criticize
0: and there's not <laughs> yeah. a lot to yeah, criticize in
3: this movie that's it's, the
0: gimmick It's, <laughs> it's like, this movie this these movies test our gimmick this
3: week. it's like right from the get-go like they're introducing him in the taxi driving through town that's like getting dispersed with extreme close-ups on the eyes and that what he sees going around the city and it's like it's this wonderful little imagery and it's like because that's how anyone sitting in the back seat would seem it's just a pair of eyes and the soundtrack mm-hmm. is going from like really slow and, and then it just goes chaotic and i'm like okay yeah it's like you're introduced to his state of mind at the beginning like right from the get-go this thing has like almost art film all over it because they've yeah, thought exactly, they've yeah. thought about every, the placement of every little thing De Niro, right at the beginning, the first time you see him speak, he's just straight up goddamn likable. You love the That's guy; he's he. You're rooting for him, and then it, the the decline starts, and you just go with him into it. And I can I can really see why a lot of people, um, because it's funny watching this now, why a lot of people compared Joker to this, because the tone is similar, the the descent is kind of similar, and it is like this is this is. Probably what half that performance yeah. was based on,
0: and King yeah. of Comedy, the two
3: De Niro's. Yeah, these two, yes, but
1: those yeah. two movies for sure. Are like mm. together, make Joker. I feel like there was a.
3: <laughs> we'll get to it later, but I feel like there was a little bit of network thrown in there as well. So it's almost like they siphoned 1976 and threw it into Joker.
1: Absolutely. But I kept thinking this week that, uh, and I want to hear, you, I want to hear you continue. But I kept thinking this week that it was so cool we chose both of these films, and obviously they didn't know they were making these films. But if network is the macro. The taxi driver is the micro you have the way it feels through travis bickle to live in that lonely isolated world yeah. of propaganda and fake bullshit the bullshit yeah. right he's just eating the bullshit every day and he goes crazy and then we'll talk about the network and how they're commenting on the whole big picture and the mm. puppeteers that are above all of it but keep going what yeah. did you think dave i want to ask you a specific question um cinema, cinematography wise he does things in here. You can still feel like Scorsese is still like cutting his teeth. Like, you can still yeah. see him like warming up into a lot of things that he masters. You can, and like you can good still fellas fellas see them the experimenting
3: with technology and stuff as well. Like, I posted on the Facebook page today um, yeah. a great photo where they had the camera operator strapped to the front of the taxi with the camera. <laughs> and they're just, that's how they got some of the shots. And like, there's, you can see a couple of times they roll a camera, like they track it down a hallway, And he's got that thing moving so fast to track. It's not exactly level. So you get a little bit of a camera shake, but they, he left, like he went with that. You're like, you've got time to go back and fix that back in the seventies. They could go over their shoot schedule. It didn't matter. And mm. he made a choice to incorporate that stuff in. I love the, one of my favorites is when he is, um, he's just taken civil shepherd out to the, the adult film and she's walked off on him. Doesn't want to talk to him yeah. anymore. And he's making a phone call. And He's there basically begging on the phone and the camera just rolls away and shows yeah. an empty hallway. And it's at the perfect moment because you just cannot watch that anymore. It's just painful yeah. to watch. It. Yeah, all right, do it. Whoa, <laughs> we got <Yeah>. the
1: gush <laughs> warning God, God, God. early. I want up. All, Dave. all of us, I want, I want three nerding gushes out. a segment. <laughs> nerding
0: out about <laughs> this totally cinematography good. here. Wait, Dave, tell me... That- Sorry, that's okay, but I also add to your, your talk about this. How do they do the effects where if, you, if you've if you seen Taxi Driver, you see De Niro's eyes, you see the street in front of him, and you see that uh, windshield reflection of the light. So there's almost three different focal points in the same shot coming from three different angles. Do You, you know what I'm talking about, right? When he's driving in the cab. Mm-hmm. Is is that just practical? Is that just great capture? Like I mean, How that, are they able to yeah, pull that
3: off? Back then, almost everything was practical. It was very hard to do anything mm-hmm. but... The only way I could right. think, because I didn't actually look up how they did that, they may have used a diopter again or a triopter, if you like, for three different focal points. Uh, um, yeah. But I don't even know if a triopter exists. But the other, the other way to do it, of course, was would be to project the reflections on the car. But again, you've got, you know, it's a it's a moving car, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I know what
1: you're talking. I mean, they do that a few different times. I feel like the strongest um, moment that that happened for me, and I forgot that the movie ends this way. After Me everything too. you've gone through, it's so gripping. And then he he looks up at the mirror real quick and shifts the mirror really fast. So mm-hmm. there's this oh, there's this last tiny compelling moment, and then the mirror shifts and you're stuck looking at the image that Jeff is describing, where you have this reflection yeah. of everything that's happening in the mirror, and you're be able, you're able to see two different images through the windshield, and it just creates like all the way up to the last fucking second of the narrative. He chooses to like pull the rug out just a little bit visually to keep you inside just to throw because you can't yeah. quite see Travis anymore at the end of it. Like, that's the last time we get to have his perspective because we have only his perspective up until that last moment. Mm.
3: And, it's, like, it's, um, a, it's a phenomenal performance from him, obviously. Jodie Foster aces it. Jesus, yeah. Like, there's yeah. so much talent there on screen. Twelve years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unreal, dude. It was, it was just, everything was a joy to watch. It's a joy to right? watch, yeah. and it's also, <laughs> it's, like, it's a joy, it's a but it's painful yeah. as well. It's, like, it's, it's not a pleasant yeah. film, yeah. and it ends in, like, gratuitous right. violence that apparently they had to desaturate to get yeah. to not get an X rating, um, and
2: of course there's no, no such thing desaturate. as a director's cut. Literally,
0: yeah,
3: there's no such
1: thing literally. as a director's desaturate, cut. Right? So the yeah, other the other the...
0: footage is gone. It's not like they can recut it. It's it's it. It's done. This is it.
1: Dave, you're talking about pulling the color out of the blood, aren't yeah. you?
3: That's
0: what yeah. they literally had to that do. Was, they had to pull the red yeah, out.
3: Yeah, and that was that was uh, funnily enough all they had to do, and in in their opinion, it made it more shocking. Yeah. And who's in the right. room? Yeah.
0: Who's in the room with these people? That it's like this is going to be rated R. What if we What if we take the color grade down to this a little bit? And they're like, okay, fine, that's dude, rated dude, R. Dude, it wasn't <laughs> it
3: wasn't <laughs> going to get an R. It was going to get an X.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Dave, what you think? I thought I was going to get an X the for the way that these guys were dancing with a twelve-year-old prostitute. Yeah, right? I, guess I mean, it's also because that would, it's it, the last yeah. scene is very vivid. Nowadays, mm. we're we're not desensitized to it. It's still striking, but but the final, not the final no, ten minutes. I, like I would say from fifteen same, minutes no, that, before the end that, to five minutes. That before
3: scene the end. with uh, yeah, with Harvey Kotel and yeah, Jodie Foster that made me uncomfortable. I was not yeah, desensitized to that at all. I was as it should, should, as like, as it should. I was, and I was like, how Jeff, how are they going as an actor and like as actors doing this? Like this is.
1: That scene specifically, they actually met ahead of time privately because they were Harvey was so uncomfortable and he wanted to make sure yeah. she was comfortable. That was the only way he felt like he could perform and actually get there. So they actually met ahead of time, not you know, not totally privately, but they got there and they rehearsed alone so that she could lead what she was comfortable with, and they built the scene around there in an improv together because it right. actually was only scripted in a couple lines. Mm. Um, and, and where were her? I know parents, Jeff. Well, I know what you're talking about. Together. <laughs> she said you know i listened to an interview i listened to a bunch of interviews after i watched it the other night and i was watching the 40th anniversary interview and of course somebody asked her like 12 years old blah 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 and she was like you know i was an actor like i'd already done i had done more movies than these guys i'm sitting here with at that age (laughs) i had already (laughs) done more movies so you know i was that was just matter of fact and she made a good comment that i thought was important she said if anybody is ever worried I guarantee you, you had a more uncomfortable experience watching it than I did filming it. It did not feel that way. I was around professionals, everyone treated everyone respectfully, nobody ever took advantage of me. Wow. So this is just good storytelling and it was yeah. just very effective. Yeah. Jeff, I did want to ask you though, cause I, I agree with you about the violence thing and like this word gratuitous, I think this film probably received a, an even bigger reaction, but it was very similar to the way people responded to Joker because unlike Tarantino that is purposefully gratuitous this is actually realistic and earned Yeah I don't
0: think this is gratuitous and I think it
1: yeah I think it bothers you more in a way yeah. because that's that shit actually fucking happens yeah. and that's how it happens like literally the miss- way they're filming it and the build up to it it's not it's not sexy it doesn't have Sergio Leone deep zooms and then some epic operatic yeah. score in the background it's naked and it's gross and yeah. it yeah I mean
0: the movie I, I thought the movie I thought about the most watching this, just because this is the way I think. I'm just constantly living in, in a world where I compare things to not in a bad way, but just like, <laughs> oh, this reminds me of that. Um, maybe it just helps me commit them to memory. I don't know. But I did think about Joker, but only really when the famous like, well, suck on this line happens. Yeah. And then there's there's a, a shooting that we you think is an execution. And then in most other movies, there's like a run and then there's a cut or something. This just stays with De Niro and he goes and he just sits down.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and you're still sitting with him and you're like did anybody just witness this crime in the middle of the street and the answer is no and that reminded me of joker but other than that um i was thinking about do the right thing because the reason that the violence doesn't seem gratuitous is that by the time it gets there you are so on board with him that you're almost like how did we get here like how did this come about right and obviously taxi driver came um Came first do the right thing subject matter is definitely more important than 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 anything that's on this film i would say but that's just something that i definitely thought about a lot i would say that the one um part of this movie that i think proves how brilliantly spike not oh my god shit marty um, <laughs> was weaving he was so self-aware making this film that travis bickle it's, it's we nec- we shouldn't necessarily be obsessed with him, even though we it the movie requires us to be sort of obsessed with him. So we, we talked to you talked a little bit before about the scene where he takes his date, Sybil Shepherd to the, a dirty movie and, and she doesn't want to be there. Obviously, mm. it's it's a porn. And so she runs out and then there's the phone call. And that's when you're like, oh, he doesn't even realize he's a creep. He doesn't even realize he's a he's. He is kind of weirdo, other people would call him scum, like he doesn't realize that he falls into these categories. And then the next scene, right, as the audience is on board with this of like, oh no, who am I following? he drives Scorsese and Scorsese now is yeah. the crazy person with the gun who says that's my wife dude that scene is so fucking
3: fast <laughs> it's
0: it's an incredible famous scene it is director Martin Scorsese in the he back seat, cameo, yeah. and then De Niro is looking at him like he's the crazy one and you as the audience are like oh my god I can't believe this guy is paying this cab driver and he's torturing this guy who you a second ago by you I mean me in this case watching this a second ago I was like Travis Pickles a weirdo and a creep and now I'm like I'm on Travis side that guy's a weirdo and a creep and now all of a sudden and I'm on Travis's side again. It, it is like brilliant narrative. This is definitely the kind of movie where it, it famously, people saw this movie and, and especially people, let's call them insiders, actors, directors, stayed and watched it again and saw it seven, eight times the opening weekend. Oh my God, great. I got the gush. I haven't gotten the gush in a while. It's so good. <laughs> I like done. to like all my friends. Um, but this is definitely the kind of movie where you go through it and you're like, how did I get here as the viewer? How did this happen? What did that mean? And then you just you just have to see it again. You just have to follow Travis's story all over again and see what's going on.
1: It's almost it's almost voyeuristic, isn't it? Like, mm, I don't yeah. this may be the it best very first real. person narrative ever captured on film b- because Maybe. of what you're talking about. There have been other amazing first person narratives. Scorsese does them a lot using like literally using voiceover and keeping the first person thing happening. But because this is so voyeuristic and so true and so dirty. That it, it touches people. Clearly, it, it, like you said, it has touched everyone who has ever seen this movie in a very unique way. I watched, um, leading up to this on the Criterion channel right now, if anyone is interested on the Criterion app, um, all of Martin Scorsese's student shorts are available right now. So I watched them ah. before I watched this. Wow. And you can see you know, how he's developing his style and stuff like that. And there's a great interview in 1970 when he's talking to New York Public Radio about he's setting up films in the park. And he's talking to the interviewer about this new style of filmmaking that's happening that came out of French New Wave and everything and is now in America. And I listened to those interviews and he was saying very similar stuff in there that he also said after the making of a movie like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, all of his work, nobody wanted to make it. Nobody wanted to give him funding. Yeah. So yeah, this is De, very famous example. De, De Niro made example.
0: like 30 grand for this. Yeah, like De Niro
1: had just, if anyone who doesn't know, um, De Niro had just won the Academy Award for playing Vito Corleone in The Godfather Part Two, which is why they finally were able to get some kind of financial security. But part of that financial security was having all of the actors take some kind of cut. Specifically De Niro. I think he made $32,000 yeah. on paper from this movie or something, 30-something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were really so worried he'd ask you for too, more. That, yeah just goes to show you too that like once Scorsese was born with an independent filmmaker mindset and clearly he's never lost it nobody has ever yeah. wanted to happily fund any of his movies and yet everyone who sees these things realizes the achievement that was made nobody how 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 do you think he felt when he went around saying can you give us money we want to make this movie and we really believe in it and they're like hit me with the pitch and he's like uh it's about loneliness and prostitution and political assassination and uh depression and like there's nothing yeah. attractive about that and yet clearly there was something that resonated in the zeitgeist when this film came out all over the world he won the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival that year mm. so it won the best film in France that year and this thing has been gone down in cultural history it's an iconoclast yeah. right over here in America at least like not just because of you're talking to me, even though when you're a kid, even a kid knows what that what you're talking about. <laughs> but as an adult, I have seen people like Dave. I have seen people who have seen this for the first time who are, are grown adults. I have seen young people who are growing up, artists and non-artists. Everyone who sees this movie is deeply affected by it because I think truth this raw, almost never makes it to the screen. It took a handful of passionate, crazy geniuses to actually get it up there. And um, again, when we get to the next movie, I think you'll understand why, because we don't like to actually face the truth. And yet I wanna ask you As I just said all that bullshit because I really wanna ask you, we are also living in a crazy time like they were in the 70s when they made these movies. We are also dealing with tons of sadness, tons of loneliness because of the pandemic and our politics are all over the place. I was a little resistant to watching this movie. Network is a satire and there's a lot of comedy in it, so it's a little easier to approach. I was a little resistant to this one, And yet when I watched it, just like you did, the storytelling for me was so fucking captivating and compelling that I was entertained. The entire time it was inviting to me and it actually was, I'm gushing. Yeah. I got it. I'm All gushing. three of us. This is <laughs> the first triple
0: crown. This is the first gush alarm triple crown we've ever had. any film deserves it.
1: But I want to ask you, honestly, do you feel the same way? Because that truth hit me like a ton of bricks and it was medicinal as fuck. Mm, yeah. I needed to see this movie right now.
3: Between that and network, this was a very therapeutic week. I can tell you that. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this was definitely a case of, yeah, you're getting, you to in a journey the thing i really liked was like it's granted in 70s films there's a lot of like racial homophobic slurs that sort of thing and normally you, you we sort of take offense at those go that's not cool that they did that and that sort of thing but in this case it they were very careful and it was it was they did something different where the the slurs are the opinion of that character and that character yes. pays for those slurs and yeah so it's It becomes like it introduces you to the little bit of racism that's in his mind and in a lot of people's minds, but there's a consequence for that, and I thought that was really beautifully done because it kind of put it at the forefront, and but also managed to incorporate into the story without taking you out of what you're watching.
2: Even for even for
3: what I would I would class myself as a modern audience now. To take that
1: further, I think Escor says he always does. He gets criticized for all sorts of things in his movies, because I think he is a steadfast artist and he expects you to do some work. You have to come into the film and make your own decision about that. So even though I agree with Mm -hmm. you, structurally, narratively, there are consequences for the characters. This film got dubbed as a racist film. There were a lot of critics that had trouble with this and a lot of audiences when it came out that just said a racist film, because obviously Travis is racist. Did you guys feel like, as well as loneliness, I think what this movie did for me, the first time I saw it especially, but I had a really good viewing this week too. I kind of pointed out that like everyone in this movie is insane to a certain degree. And I feel like the best example I can give of that is that when the Palantine, the presidential nominee, who soon to be nominee, who is kind of in the background, this political race that's happening in the background of this whole movie, he gets into De Niro's cab and they have a little, you know, oh, I know you, sir. You know, and the guy says, oh, what do you care about the most in this world? Or what what bugs you the most about
0: America? Yeah.
1: And De Niro says, you know, he starts kind of going off the rails a little bit and saying, well, honestly, you know, it's the scum. This sk- you should start with the city. It's fucking disgusting. There's a bunch of whores and punks and there's a whole bunch of disgusting shit. And Scorsese goes right to Palantine's eyes. And you see, like, we're supposed to feel like, oh, the normal human being is reacting to this crazy man who's driving his cab. And you feel that way for about 10 seconds while De Niro is ranting. And then as the movie goes on, you start to realize who's crazier? Travis Bickle for actually seeing how disgusting Mm -hmm. the world had turned into in the lies, or a man like Palantine who was selling lies to people around America, that it isn't that way. Who Who is more correct? And I'm not saying that one, it's so well done that you don't feel one way or the other. You start to feel the ambiguity of, am I insane for believing in any values that have been projected upon me by whatever, politics, Mm -hmm. social issues? I just feel like it just it opens all that up so well with a tiny, single, first-person perspective. It is I'm, it is the best of I'm that.
0: glad you're getting... So you, you can view this film without caring too much about the politics of it. Um, it's, it's, it could help you to view this knowing that this came out in 1976, which was a weird presidential year in which Jimmy Carter, who was a relatively unknown person before the Democratic National Convention was up against Gerald Ford, who was the vice president under Nixon, who pardoned Nixon after Watergate, oh. and then was running for re-election. Like, in hindsight, that almost and seems it He
3: just had crazy. What, two shots taken at him mm. at this point?
0: He... Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Sweetie from... Because they talk about a network, yeah. Mm. Um, so you have... So in 19... So we have fucking Vietnam... So it, it all of 70s art house films can be related back to Vietnam, starting in 1967, yeah. which was sort of pre-Vietnam, but with Bonnie and Clyde and with Rosemary's Baby in the next year in 68 and all the stuff that was going on in the late 60s. And then in the 70s, it was basically like that national cynicism put to action. Like, just like, fuck you. We're tired of the Kennedy assassination holding us back. We are now in the post-Vietnam. We know P- Vietnam is a piece of shit. We know there's liars. We know there's scumbags. This is leading us into network too. But to stick with Taxi Driver, so now it's 1976 and Gerald Ford who has assumed presidential <laughs> responsibilities despite having not been elected, pardons the president who committed crimes that would have impeached him and he probably should have gone to jail for them. And he pardons him and then is running for re-election because he's the moral compass the, the country needs. And this movie's coming out the same year and there is a senator in this film. So there is no way that this movie was, <laughs> it was ignorant of that. So it could help you get on Travis Bickle's side, even though he, he says lines like this, by the way. Now that you know that we're in an election year here in 2020, I just want to go out and really do something. I got some bad ideas in my head. And he says this with complete sincerity to Peter Boyle, who's incredible in this film. I, I, Peter Boyle has two scenes and I think he's fantastic. Mm. This monologue he gives. And then he says, Look, you got to understand, you do a thing and that's what you are.
2: <laughs>
0: and now we mm-hmm. lead, now Travis Bickle interprets that to be, he just says, That's the dumbest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> but he interprets that to be well. I could be the renegade. I could be the, the John Wilkes. The John Wilkes Booth. I could be that like weird idol, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he contemplates ending this. Valentine's guy's life and, and it's just like this whirlwind of, of stuff if you look at it politically or not there's so many different angles that you see in this and the political one because it's such a prevailing force in our culture especially then and especially now the martin scorsese was brilliant and not going too far after it The way that Network maybe was getting a little, you know, rightfully so, but Network was way more confrontational politically. Scorsese was like, I'm just keeping this about Travis. People understand politics and such. And then over the decades, maybe people rewatching it didn't understand it. But in 2020, if you want that, it's there for you. And it really does open up like a 10th dimension of this film. If you want it. It's just
1: a perfect example. It reminds me that reminds me of um, Stephen King has a wonderful book called On Writing, where he just kind of rants Mm -hmm. about his life as a writer. And half the other other half of the book is him talking about the how to write. And when he talks about themes, he talks very specifically about how you should never be writing toward a theme. That is not your objective. If you tell characters stories well, audience members will lift themes from them. And I thought this was just a perfect. Are you example. listening final right, season especially... of Game
3: of Thrones? Are you listening?
2: <laughs> are you final listening? two seasons. Stop you... <laughs> giving
0: season seven a pass. Stop sorry, giving season sorry. seven a pass.
1: Our first buzz. <laughs> um okay, yeah, we're we're gonna wrap this up soon, I think, but I did want to uh just talk very quickly. Dave already mentioned it. The acting, this is just like quintessential I mean, 70s. Me- I mean, the acting is through the roof. I watched all these. Uh, interviews afterwards with a bunch from a bunch of movies, all, all the actors, especially in his little family troupe that he worked with so many times. And you always hear about De Niro, um, uh, Scorsese liked to rehearse with improv styles. And he never lets anybody improv like on screen, like super loosely, but he's pretty good about having rehearsals where they would start to behave with each other. Mm. And apparently, that was the only note that he would really try to give these actors. They're all very well trained, of course. But he would always say, I don't want anyone to act. I don't want to see anyone acting, but I want you to start behaving like these people in this improv, and then we'll probably be able to find these characters. And I feel like it's so obvious in a movie like Taxi Driver, where I don't think that kind of performance would fly as easily anymore. And I think proof is in the pudding. I don't think people reacted to Irishmen as strongly as I thought they would, because they're they're just as good in that as they are. Oh my in, God. Uh, the taxi Irishman driver. is
0: really fantastic. Give it just a rewatch. Right. Take a couple nights. Give it think, two or three I nights. I think the thing
3: I, I love most about, like, when we get towards the end, like there's some really little, happy, there's some happy accidents that happen in the cinematography. Like the final scene where he's on the couch, well, it's the almost final scene where he's on the couch. He's been shot a couple of times yeah. and he puts his finger up to his head to simulate a gun. And there's just yeah. a single blood drip off his finger. It's yeah. like, you can't oh, program that. It was just like everything, the universe was in the zone the magic happened. And you got this fantastic shot of this blood drip as he's like pretending to shoot himself in the head. Yeah. And I, I do want to, one thing I do want to question, because I, I, there was one section that did make me laugh out loud, and it's when he's in the uh, campaign office, and they throw him out, basically, and the guy's yeah. like, officer, officer, and you see travel Travis wander off out of shot, and then this really skinny old guy in a police uniform trots through the shot after him, I'm like, what is that guy going to do?
1: I <laughs> know. Oh, is that what a cop looked like in the seventies? No wonder there wait, was so much wait, crime in New York do, City, buddy.
0: <laughs> so, oh, the seventies in New York City was fucked up. By the way, it's the reason Trump exists is because they I were laughed. so riddled with with just crime and, and poverty and I laughed, and I laughed really
1: hard when he gets when he gets refreshments at the porn movie. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <That> fucking. <laughs> oh my god. P- yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was a really awkward <laughs> scene. Um, oh let's God. go around this viewing specifically unless, Je- unless Jeff you wanted to say anything about the acting just because like this movie created Daniel Day-Lewis, this movie that created so say. many it's, people,
2: it's...
1: let's go around the horn then, what, it doesn't have to be your favourite scene but this viewing, what, what scene affected you guys the most in this viewing was there one that really stood out to you, I that mean, you like, for cool. me it
3: was the Scorsese cameo scene where he's pulled over to the side of the road and like yeah. Jeff mentioned you, yeah. you, it was a really great way to pull you back into line it's like is he going off that nope that guy's weird worse and it literally yeah. pulls you back in the line and you like they almost gaslight you.
2: Yeah.
1: yes it is so important I structurally because it does make you line up once again with travis you think hmm. he might be going too
0: crazy and you're still on his side yeah totally so you, right you drift and there's then he pulls you back crazier. and it's
3: like oh i shouldn't have been pulled back he was actually nuts
0: weirdest yeah. the weirdest thing about our society is there's always someone crazier um <laughs> for me it was it was It was the Peter Boyle monologue. So if you've seen the film, I love Peter Boyle. Everybody's everybody's (laughs) very obsessed with De Niro in this film as they should have been. It's truly miraculous. As John said, it's possibly the best first person narrative ever captured on film. Peter Boyle, you may know, is the monster from fucking Young Frankenstein (laughs) or Raymond. (laughs) You know who Peter Boyle is. He, He has like two scenes. He's a fellow cab driver and Travis is really at, a turning point in his life it's right before the guns start coming into his life and peter boyle has this beautiful scene with him outside where de niro is really contemplating terrible terrible crimes and terrible action he has dark places that he is considering them and peter boyle's just leveling with them like look this is it is what it is this is the site cheer up you're young get laid have fun and that whole scene i just it 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 really it really got to me It showed I'm the saying, sensitivity I'm, that this me film too had. dude
1: yeah, me too. I feel the exact same way, specifically because of that last word you just said sensitivity. That is the most vulnerable Travis is in the entire movie. And it's, yeah. and it's so threatening when you actually yeah. see a crazy person open up and show you how they feel and how scared and lonely and how angry and how insecure he was about the bad yeah. ideas he was having. Terrifying. Terrifying. Mm-hmm absolutely your answer it, too? it rocked me yeah that was my answer too that was the one that now me imagine
0: up that person believes QAnon is real that's where exactly. we are in 2020 <laughs> we anyway, haven't gone but, there um, but let's yeah give yeah. it a watch folks this yeah. thing
1: is going to make you think about our world right now give it a watch
0: um we could talk about taxi driver all day that's plenty i think anything else you guys want to say that we missed should we head no, it on that was wonderful cool, we're gonna talk so good awesome we're gonna talk about network after this break for us to pee and me to scarf down some food we'll see you in a second film fans you talking to me Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> hey,
2: we're
3: back! we're back! We're back! Oh my
1: God, De Niro. Oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> Enough about Bobby D, though. We gotta move on to Network. Yes. 1976. Mercedes- Directed by Sidney Lumet. You know, I had actually misspoken at the beginning of our podcast. Sidney Lumet had never won an individual competitive. I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't
1: know if he had more. won for Twelve Angry Men, but I'm glad you clarified no, that. Nominated
0: across the board. Oh, wait, no. He 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 was nominated for Twelve Angry Men and and Dog Day and a couple other things. Network, but he did not win. He got an honorary award, which is basically uh, whipped cream on shit. So Sidney Lumet, <laughs> this is a um, Oscar best award Winning. Ever. <laughs> Screenplay by Patty, Patty Chayefsky.
1: God damn it!
0: Wow. Patty with two D's. Patty Chayefsky. This is network. It stars Faye Dunaway, Peter Finch, William Holden, Robert Duvall, so Ned Beatty, Wesley Addy, and a couple other people that you'd probably recognize if you saw them, including the um, the woman who plays the maid from Two and a Half Men. <laughs> <laughs> she is in this film. I did um, not
3: even notice that.
0: And then of course, and, uh, Beatrice Strait won an Oscar Beatrice for about yeah. five minutes of screen time, which I think is I think the yeah, smallest the amount least. of screen time. Yeah. Number two yeah, yeah. is Judy Dench, definitely for Shakespeare Love, but she has the f- smallest amount of screen time. I think she had five and a half minutes of screen time, yeah. won an Oscar. By contrast, Alicia Vikander had almost 60 fucking minutes of <laughs> screen time and won for the same category because category fraud is something that I'm very much against brad pitt you were not a supporting actor you were not you were the co-lead of that fucking movie get the fuck out of here there were three people (laughs) in network billed as leads of this movie and for somehow brad pitt get the fuck out of here with this category fraud anyway moving on to network (laughs) i saw this broadway play two years ago starring (laughs) brian kranston i wish i'd seen that this this film is uh, sensational this is very different from taxi driver which is more introspective this is Every single person yells in this movie. There's not a single person who doesn't shout. And it is the first time that I've ever seen this film, which I was very happy to force all of you to spend a couple dollars in rent. It was totally worth it. Um, The short pitch is a television network cynically exploits a deranged former anchor's ravings and revelations about the news media for its own profit that is not really... The pitch that i would go with for this film let's see what the storyline says 1970s terrorist violence is the stuff of networks nightly news programming and the corporate <laughs> structure of the fictional ubs television network is changing meanwhile howard beale played by peter finch the aging ubs news anchor has lost his once strong rating share and so the networks fires him beale reacts in an unexpected way we then see how this affects the fortunes of Beale and his coworkers. The way in which he reacts after that's, being fired—it's a
3: very ambiguous.
0: Like, yeah, he 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 says he's tired of all the bullshit. He says bullshit on TV. No, he
3: threatens to kill
0: himself he says he, on air. He, says he, he ran to, out of he ran he,
3: out of bullshit.
0: He ran out of bullshit, and he threatens to kill himself on the air in a week <laughs> because he knew that the reason he was being fired was because of low okay, ratings. The and the he said, Well, that'll get us he, ratings. he
3: threatens to kill himself on air, and they still put him on TV the next night. Yeah, well, because they realize that the ratings are going to be high. But the good thing is they do it in a thoroughly realistic way, as well. Like this isn't isn't really; it never jumps the shark once. It's like everything that happens in this film is great.
0: So Peter Finch is very famously the first person to win a posthumous Oscar for for acting. I know this is not an Oscars podcast, but if anybody out there is wondering why Robert De Niro did not win for Taxi Driver, you got to go ahead and see Network, and you'll understand. Um, Not that Peter Finch is better; it's just it's it's. You you just get it. It's just it's one of those things that it happens every now and then where there's just two fantastic performances and, and you got to give it to somebody. I imagine it would have um, been a hard choice this year.
1: De Niro doesn't yeah. scream. That's really it.
0: <laughs> Peter Finch's character is like, well, you want ratings? Fine, I'll say I'll kill myself on TV and I'll get some ratings. And then William Holden, who is really, really the moral anchor of this, not Peter Finch, who we, we were with him because he's going off the rails as a news anchor. Um, But he's also saying, I'm tired of the bullshit. I'm tired of the lies. I'm tired of the profiteering of the media. We're supposed to be telling you the news. And instead, all we're doing is is fear mongering for attention that we cash in for profits. Um, Wow. Sounds like 2020, huh?
2: They Um, literally mm -hmm.
3: predicted what the the media was going to become in
0: 1976. Yeah, it is insane how prescient prescient it is. So William Holden, who's the executive producer on the show, and um, uh, he's basically the bridge between the top-level talent and the executives in the boardroom. Um, So William Holden's character basically pleads and says, let's not let Peter Finch's character go out this way. Let's let him retire with dignity. So let's let him issue an apology tomorrow night on the air. So Peter Finch goes on the air and he goes, I'm so sorry. He passed the copy, by the way. Sorry. He, He passed the copy. So he actually wrote a script that he was going to say, and then he gets on TV and he doesn't read the script. He says, I'm sorry about what I said yesterday. I'm not going to kill myself on the air. It's just that I got sick and tired of all the bullshit. (laughs) And so it starts a second wave of everybody freaking out about it. So it's awesome. It's a really, really cool way of getting in the film. Um, So that's your introduction. Who wants to take it from there?
1: I want to hear you guys talk. This is the first time for both of you. I, I've seen this movie several times. I think this is one of the best movies ever made. I think this might be the best screenplay ever written. I, I want to hear what you yeah, guys think. I'm going to agree first on that. This is, uh, especially watching right now. What was it like watching yeah, right now? Because like this, this I'll lead you off with this. Because I've seen it so many times, and I, I love it every single time I watch it, I could not help but be, because I know the movie so well, I could not help but think about what it was saying about the time I'm living in right now. I'm curious watching it for the first time if you guys were totally in the movie and afterwards if you were reflective or if you were just blown away by how timeless this fucking thing is and how predicting it was about where we're at with globalization social media media in general uh, you know like I'm curious what did you guys I think mean, what was I your pretty, experience I pretty like? much have
3: one statement to make it's like this movie is a 2-hour indictment of network TV and it's one of the best screenplays I've had the pleasure of watching come to life possibly ever, ever.
2: Every, yeah. yeah, like Every, there is yeah. not a
3: single line of dialogue is wasted in this movie. No, it's just yeah. everything it's happens so right, for yeah. a reason, and it it it's it's phenomenal. Like, it's a and, lesson, it's and, a and a as well, like I'm yeah. d- not, I didn't find it um like staggering or infuriating or anything. Given like the state of the media today, like I, I picked up on that straight away. It's like they've literally a conversation in a bar at the start of this movie predicts what you know the media will become in 2020, and then it proceeded to show his decline and what they did. And I was almost inspired. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Hmm. Hell yeah. And
1: I think I that's think- the power of what, when satire is done well, I, I, guys, I couldn't stop thinking about our Billy Wilder conversation. I watched, again, I watched a bunch of interviews, uh, cause Patty Chayefsky sadly died at 58 not too long after this was made. So he died way too young, probably had a lot more amazing scripts in him, but he had already won for Marty. He was a successful playwright. Um, but one thing apparently that everyone said about him is that that man understood that if you're going to talk about, Sidney Lumet said it best. He said, Network is a very serious movie told in a comical way.
2: Yeah. And I think that, that yeah. is
1: that that's it in a nutshell. When satire is done well, it can be the most cutting, poignant, receptive way of dealing with something that seems astronomical, like you can't possibly approach how are you going to dissect and deal with what mass media and corporate geopolitics, how it affects human beings in their day-to-day lives. And they did it, and I laughed the entire fucking time yeah, again. Too. And I still can't stop thinking about how I, it's I love the
2: I
3: love the gender swap role as well with uh, Farrah Fawcett and the the movie producer where she, done away. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, fade on away. Sorry, I don't yeah, know why yeah. no, I did no, that. You're good, you're good. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's it's a total gender swap in that she's the man in the relationship, and she's the the strong, emotionless one. She has almost no redeeming qualities, and this guy is the one saying, like, the guy is the one saying, "I just want you to love me," and she's not capable of it because she's too busy with her job and with the network and the fact that everything's falling apart for about, for about halfway through. I I realized Mm -hmm. about halfway through this movie, I might actually be Howard Beale. Like you really, you relate to him that much. It's like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so Patty Chayefsky, the writer of this film, won three Oscars for writing, which puts him in the class of Francis Ford Coppola and yes, Woody Allen and Charles Brackett and Billy Wilder. So it's like he is in the he is in the echelon. The guy knows how to write a script, and also this is, as yeah. John said, was one of his final scripts that he had ever written. So he was um, groomed. <laughs> he was yeah. ready to go mm-hmm. for this. Um, I mean, he going to go. are going to go
3: out. This is the one to go out on.
0: Mm-hmm. There's obviously the famous monologue. That yeah. Peter Finch gives, where it's like you gotta get mad. And again, if you want to know why Gennaro didn't win the you for Taxi Driver, just go ahead and Google Network Monologue, and and yeah, that's actually. Probably and you this got, is you get it's it.
3: even it's even been parodied in ads and used in like advertising yeah. and stuff since, which is right. like probably not what they intended. But I tell you, everybody <laughs> now, just go to go and open right. up your window and yell oh. out the window. I'm mad as hell. I'm not <laughs> gonna <laughs> take it anymore. Not okay, yeah, I'm not I'm not quoting. Go do it now. Go and do it now. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel yeah. like I want to see that echo up New York City tomorrow.
1: Let's all be Howard awesome. Beal right now. Jeff, yeah. get 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 in there.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Um, uh, what I would say is is I love the Faye Dunway character. So to to cue everybody in. So Peter Finch, who is the he he claims to be delusional, and I actually really love, I admire that they allowed this guy to not just be a prophet. And and I know for some reason we always compare these old classics to contemporary movies, and and in doing so we generalize, but. I just don't know too many scripts that would let this news anchor at the end of his days as in life, but also as a news anchor, who just says, I'm tired of the bullshit. I want to tell you guys the truth. You all know your food's not he- fit to eat. You all know that the water is not fit to drink. You know that it's polluted by pharmaceutical companies. You know this. And yet we we accept the status quo. The only way it's going to change is not by writing your congresspersons. It's You have to get fucking furious. You have to get a pitchfork." But rather than just let him be this new messiah come to save us from our own um, greed and lust for, you know, classism and culture and gentrification, he actually is kind of delusional and he is hearing voices that he thinks could be God. Like he hmm. is a little insane. They don't let him be a purely protagonistic character. And I think that's a brilliant choice. William Holden actually has to center him and keep him balanced and then faye dunaway who you would think just to play with stereotypes of everything she's the she's the female lead of this film she actually is the progressive fucking trailblazer who wants to capture now we're talking about taxi driver a little bit here she wants to capture violent crime and air it on the news yeah so you're talking nightcrawler and she thinks that it would be fantastic television i said at the beginning of the show i watched this is what you were saying before dave right that i was it just so happens that I watch this movie, The yeah. Week of Network, where it's like we watch this true crime drama from real footage that has been saved. Faye Dunaway wants to do that for money, for profit, for eyeballs. She thinks people would tune in to watch people rob banks with guns and 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 hold up people and ruin people's lives, basically. She thinks that would be great television. So that is not a traditionally female role. And also, that's not a traditionally lead of a movie Role. None of these yeah, people no. seem like actual protagonists, except for William Holden, who's having an affair with Faye Dunaway, cheating on his wife. Like, nobody in here is a good character. Nobody's here in a pure character. So then when you introduce Robert Duvall and Ned Beatty, who all represent the executive branch, if you will, the boardroom. Robert Duvall, by the way, nobody needs to have me tell you that he's fucking awesome in this movie. Yeah. But he is so understandable. And also, as John mentioned before, funny. He's funny and almost like a De Niro in the Untouchables way. Like he What has am this...
1: I? I'm a man without a corporation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Favorite. And you know who th- you know who that is? Most men. Most men are men <laughs> yeah. without a corporation. And he's sitting there going, I don't even know who I am if I don't have a corporation. You are what you do. And if I don't have my corporation, who am I? It's like mad men. All of these things. You watch Network and it's like. It's like the cultural zeitgeist is surrounding this film, but this film is anchored at the center. It really is brilliant, and I, I really I mean, hope that everybody who hasn't it, seen it I goes mean, and it, watch
3: it. It starts with a voiceover, almost like a documentary voiceover. It ends with a documentary voiceover, and so it's almost like it's a documentary. Did you notice the lighting all the way through? It slowly got more and more like bizarre as they went. Like it started off natural and then went very stylistic by the end of it. It's like well, certainly by the Neddy scene, it was, the whole thing, yeah. yeah, the whole thing was becoming also, well the, the production thing value
1: be- of his it, show. Teens, but also we, like yeah.
3: yeah, it was it was becoming stylized and entertainment and yes. like, yeah. by the end of it. And it, it was a really great change for me. But uh like the 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 voiceover at the start sets the scene for you. It's like this is New York City, like that sort of thing. This is this guy has been on the air, he's uh and he lost his wife. Uh but the really sad part is his audience share dropped.
0: Oh my god.
1: Like gosh. that's Wait. more important. Yeah, I mean the the uh, the voiceover—so, again, I can't help but think about these two movies together. Both of these movies are—network um, doesn't revolve the entire time around voiceover, but it opens and closes with it. Yeah. There's a couple and of unlike, them, yeah. Yeah, and unlike the Travis Bickle first-person voiceover, which is enormous in getting you inside Travis's head— this one satirizes the cold old white man in a voice recording booth that is emotionless and doesn't want you to get attached to anything. So, the last yeah. line of this movie this is the story of Howard Beale, the first known instance of a man who was killed because he had lousy ratings. <laughs> like, Yeah, the that's the how it opens. Thing, that's, how, that's how it closes. Sadly, probably not the, the, the last. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I think this movie, what I noticed the most about this watch. Was that because when you watched it the first time, for me at least, the first one or two times that I watched it, I you cannot help but be awestruck by the the more fantastical scenes, Howard Beale's rants on television, yeah. the, the stuff that's happening with what they're actually doing in the corporate end of the network, the giant uh the giant quote from uh, Neil Beatty, Arthur Jensen, you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. You cannot help yeah. but think about those giant things. What I was noticing this time, which I think is why this movie actually works. Is that at the core of it, the entire message only lands because of the intimate scenes between William Holden, his wife, and William Holden and Faye Dunaway. The whole point is that that man who had an entire career in network television specifically news, not television. He was, he was a newsman, but still yeah. in the network world. He realized as he moved further and further away from it that to actually become a human being, to love that, those great lines he says at the end of that wonderful fight he has with Faye Dunaway when he leaves her. And he says, it, but I'm not going to die because I touched you, because I'm paraphrasing here, but because I feel pain and I feel love and I feel these things. And it's just so poignant. And I don't think this movie <laughs> would have landed if it had not dissected his personal life so well and created such a weird... It's almost like a separate movie. The intimacy you have with him and his emotional journey and the scenes with the women in his life. Take this movie beyond satire, which is, again, Mm. why it becomes like extremely serious. It feels dramatic and personal. So there's an intimacy to it that doesn't get lost at all when you journey into that network corporate world. I feel like you're still attached. You're still grounded, even though you're awestruck the entire time. What do you guys think?
0: I think... Sorry. yeah. You go. No, go. Um, you go, you ahead. go. I. I. Well, first of all, I, I wrote down that I love that um, it's a New York film without New York City being the main character. That that's like an old saying mm. in in film. People, it's like any film that's shot in New York, New York City is always the number one character. And I didn't feel that way in this film, Taxi Driver. At all. I, I didn't feel that way, but but you know, it, it was a very. It was even more so because they mentioned Columbus Circle and Brooklyn and all these things. But in this movie they don't talk about it too much. Even the apartments, they don't be like, well, this is a nice New York City apartment. It's like they they just kind of leave that off to the side. But it has that pace and that fervor that still keeps it and, and establishes it as a New York film. But what I was going to say even more so is oftentimes it it bothers me, maybe more so than the average person, when the only conversations people have who are specialists in a film, so these are news people, they are news specialists, if you will, is when their private conversations are only about specialist things. The one that's coming to my head for this is the Ides of March. They're at the bar afterwards, and none of them just talk about baseball. They're always talking about polls. They're always talking about politics. And it's like, I know that the film has to keep moving and the best thing to do is keep its material relevant. But the, because this is a satire, it works so well when Faye Dunaway is literally wooing william holden to sex (laughs) and she's like oh my god her ratings are gonna be so fucking good and it's like oh my god i mean her her quote right before they sleep together is like look all i want out of life is a 30 share and a 20 rating and then they're sleeping together like a minute later like that's funny that's really fucking funny they're sleeping
3: together and i was really offended to see a woman use a man like that for sex
2: yeah. You're gonna stand <laughs> up for men. Thanks. Yeah. Dave. Stand she up goes, no, us, maybe.
3: no, but how fucking
0: funny is it that she goes, she goes, so you have funny, a wife. Dude. You have you have a wife, don't you? And he goes, Yeah. And she, she goes, Your wife's in the city right now, isn't she? And Faye Dunaway's, and, and and William Holden's like, yeah. And Faye Dunaway goes, Okay, so we'll have to go to my place then. <laughs> it's like Yeah. She like I think, on I think
3: one of like the one place. of the directions she was given was don't even try to inject any vulnerability in this character because she has none. And if you try, I'll take it out in the editing room. Well, this is what yeah, I kept
1: like, thinking about, is that from a writing standpoint, I've been writing a lot in my pandemic time, trying, and I've been thinking about a lot of this stuff, so I've been kind of reading stuff on my favorite screenwriters. And this is just such a... Satire creates such an obvious example of this. It can be a little bit more ambiguous with other genres, but I think one reason these characters, the acting, the performances come so alive, it's not just that they're in the hands of masters. Everyone in this movie is a master actor. Yeah. But it's also that because of this genre, everyone's character has one very specific objective. It is yeah. super clear for everyone. And they are relentless. They're up anim- too when they're sitting in Hackett's room, Robert Duvall. And they're like, just to be sure, we're talking about a capital. We're talking about murdering Howard Beale, right? Yeah. Like, yeah.
2: It's like we should yeah. kill yeah. someone on TV. It's completely yeah. believable yeah.
1: by the time you get there because yeah. everyone is yeah. so... So they're yeah. fiending for that, whatever that thing is they're trying to get, which again is why I think William Holden's character is so interesting because his does shift a little bit. But Jeff, you're totally right, dude. I mean, I uh that that scene might be that sequence might be the funniest sequence in the movie when they go away together, Faye Dunaway and William Holden, and it's a montage yeah. of them like at the beach. It's a montage, yeah. And she is there's a voiceover when the camera's too far away to actually see them on the beach. There's a voiceover when they're at the restaurant. There's a voiceover when they're walking from the restaurant into the room. And then she does not stop talking the entire time they strip down and she fucks him. And she comes in like two seconds. And then she's just, she whispers. (laughs) The final thing she whispers is is like, she's like about to fall asleep after having sex. And then she just whispers one final thought about taking NBC's daytime shows by starting a soap (laughs) opera, a gay soap opera called Dyke's. Where it a woman, a wife is ferociously <laughs> in love with her husband's mistress. What do you think? And she falls asleep and he just pats her head. I mean, that is that is genius. Yes. That is fucking common well, she's
0: She had said yeah. in the previous scene that she comes too quickly. <laughs> and she also said my favorite line, maybe in all movies, which is, I'm sorry, I imputed your coxmanship. They were talking about their coxmanship. Yes. I'm sorry. And he saying stopped cocks- I stopped
1: comparing my cox. I stopped comparing genitals in The schoolyard, I think that's that's his comeback to that. So good, yeah, get in there, dude. What are you saying?
3: I'll, I'll tell you what, like, even little things like uh, the when they're having the first executive meeting, are those guys eating a plate full of lettuce? They're Caesar salads. Did you notice that?
2: Yeah. Well, sounds, there wasn't yeah.
3: there wasn't much Caesar in it. It was literally just a plate full of lettuce, and it looked like it was about take twelve. It did although I
1: couldn't help but I love and that they literally because like, that lettuce scritta.
3: was that lettuce was yeah that, like that lettuce is wilting, man. And they they, they putting that it in didn't their look mouth. like a sharp if, if That doesn't deserve a fucking Oscar. What does? Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm so happy yeah. we're, we're connecting with the humor of this because this movie. If if you are in a bad mood, this could be the most serious movie you've ever seen in your life because it is so. I mean, look at now, I, I I, admittedly got in a rant recently because not on the pod about how I was so tired of watching the Democratic national debates where the network that was carrying the debate was advertising it as if it was a fucking UFC fight, literally showing like <laughs> them crossing their arms slowly, staring at the camera, and then immediately advertising uh, who won the debate after their network carried the debate. They were profiting mm-hmm. off of the debate and they were profiting off of ripping apart the candidates. It's like, yeah, what is they, democracy right here? They insisted here? This on is showing like...
3: the way in and everything. All
1: right. So, yeah, and I'm not so naming any want...
0: networks, it's all of them. But it's like, so So you could go that way with this movie, but, but the thing that connected to me was obviously it's realistic and obviously the, the impact of it is going to stick with me but the fact that they're they found it through humor and they found it through the brilliant web of everybody's objectives as you said john it's it's yeah. really a memorable film I mean, yeah this was this
3: movie was both in and ahead of its time For sure i did want to ask you guys yeah. before we because we do things in circles before
1: yeah. we move around history repeats itself i could not help but think my whole yeah sorry i'm gonna say it again the whole election whole res- year
3: res- also, also sorry go One of my favorite scenes is where the revolutionary revolutionary army is sitting down with the network lawyers (laughs) negotiating over fucking royalties. I'm not
1: giving you any. And a guy shoots shoots a gun to shut everybody
0: up. (laughs) He shoots a gun. Give me the goddamn. Everybody's yelling.
1: It's fucking those white lawyers or God that that guy falls out of his chair. It's so funny. Um, Yes. What was I about to say? I could not help but think about how the the responsible audiences thing I keep bringing up. I wonder how many people... Again, I could not help but think about the political nature I'm in because I've seen these movies so many times. I still loved watching them fourth and fifth times. But I was very reflective during and after watching these, and it made me think, like one, the speech that Howard literally gives about the tube so the first time he finally gets taken up yep. a notch into a more fantastical setting, when Faye Dunaway's character has taken over and turned his show from a news show into an actual series television event, where he is an evangelist basically, and he gives his first monologue in the first episode, where he talks about no one reads books anymore, none of you fucking read books anymore, nobody does this anymore, nobody actually thinks anymore. You dress like the tube, you think like the my tube, favorite, you fuck my like My favorite the line of the like in the movie is in that tube. scene, and I do think that there is something to be said. About we are no longer, I think in one way, I'm lucky that we're no longer in that. I don't think most people think of the television as the idiot box anymore. There's some really great series television that we don't hmm. really call television anymore. However, yeah, we have social media now. We have a lot of other things that have yeah. filled those uh. gaps. And I do think that in terms of responsible audiences, I'm curious how many people are raging mad about this politic that we are currently living in and have not seen movies like these, and are not reading books to actually right. well, expand it, their perspective. I mean, there are, because I do, just let me say that, hold on. Two, I do think that there are there, people, yeah. both of these movies are about people getting very fucking angry, irrationally, and in different ways that you kind of get to see it play out. And I think the irony of where we're living in right now is that you're seeing both sides of our politic be convinced that we are living in a world that is not controllable and they're angry, And no one actually has any grounded vision and how to how to revolt against that. They're just angry. So I thought this movie was really poignant right now because Mm. the first step is getting angry. That's not the last step. He says you get angry first and then we start talking about the issues. We need to fucking move beyond those issues. So just once again, responsible audience members, we need to be seeing movies like this and reading more books so that people can actually have the next step of the fucking conversation. Oh no, I couldn't. Sorry, there were, I had to there go were two lines, like two lines <laughs> in that
3: scene. Yeah, there were two lines. sticking out the window, and y'all are mad, mad as hell. No, there, there are there are two scene uh, lines in that particular scene you mentioned. Um, one is there are children alive today who have learned everything they'll know from this tube. Yeah, and the other one was you're beginning to think that what you see on here is reality, and that your own lives that's, are unreal. We are
1: the illusion. And you are the real. That's,
3: thing. Face, yeah. right that's, that's really Facebook. Right that's now. Facebook. That's Facebook. Right thank now. Thank you.
1: That, I think it's even.
3: Worse. I don't care if they sue it. I don't care if they sue us. That's You're Facebook. Totally fucking Twitter. right. They yeah. still
1: fuck you, Facebook. You still haven't even taken down the Facebook platforms that are available for the Proud Boys and other folks like that to join up. Like we, we are, I think we're living in an even worse version of that. So again, it's just like we need to look back in history and we need to look at our best works of art to try to learn more about where we're at right now. And these are two perfect examples of that. It's the
3: same with any new technology when it comes out. They it takes them a while to wrangle it and figure out how to control it. But yeah. They've definitely taken
0: their fucking is, time but on this, this, is, this one. This but is, anyway, this is beyond because every single person uses this technology, and there's no regulation. Yeah, I would so take this that. Is, I'm we're, gonna, we're, this is
1: I'm gonna challenge you on that, Dave. But we are getting gonna, off hold topic. Hold on, wait. I'm gonna challenge you on that because I do think that <laughs> if network television was our biggest fear, they had no idea what the fuck was going to happen to social media. So I don't know if they ever actually. Oh, right, absolutely. They, like, I think we've gotten worse. I mean, when, when did it.
3: the when did the MPAA when MPAA come into a, like? That that wasn't until what? The okay, so 70s? so let me ask you a qu-
1: Let me bring it back yeah, to the movie. PG thirteen so, was late 80s. Like they, they weren't regulating anything. So let me bring anything. it back to the movie because I this this scared me when I was watching it. This time, his last monologue in in his show, he talks about this is after he is for audience members. This is after he has visited the head of the corporation Nabiri, and he gives him this huge godlike sermon basically on how there is no uh there are no geopolitics anymore there are only corporations and he basically sends him out as a disciple yeah. into the world to start using mm. his platform on television is, can, to preach the word also of. also contains
3: my favorite shot in the and movie
1: he gives this wonderful oh, yeah. peter peter oh, beale yeah. peter pinch howard beale gives this wonderful monologue on the death of the individual and it that hit me like a mm. ton of bricks in a way that I don't think it hit individuals yep. back in the 70s and 76, because we think we live in this world where social media has given the individual a platform. And I feel like it, it just struck me right to the core. I was like, oh, my God, this, this, all of this is truly an illusion. So it kind of flips the message that's in this movie about how we are the illusion. You are the real people. Now they have convinced us that we are the real thing and we are the illusion. I feel like social media has kind of like turned it on its head and it yeah. scared the shit out of me. Did you guys, did you guys think about that at all when you were watching that?
3: I was definitely drawing yeah, some parallels. Good, good. It was, yeah, was it was yeah. insane. This is a movie after I think you this is a movie you should watch right, right now, now.
1: Right fucking now, dude. Yeah.
0: Right now. yeah. I mean, after seeing The Great Hack and The Social Dilemma, I mean, there's no fucking question that the social media, when he said that people only get their news from this, you know who does that? Our president only gets his fucking news from fucking TV. So yeah, no, I I know it's 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 hard. Even no matter what your political, whether you believe in truth or not, I guess that's that's your political affiliation right now. Um, no matter what. <laughs> No matter whether or not you believe in truth, you should mm-hmm. see this film. Yes. That? And
3: uh, I feel like that's as good a wrap-up as any. That's
2: pretty
0: good.
3: Sorry, I went the yeah, fuck off. No, again, I another movie it. that I we could talk I'm about. Sorry, all I'm fun.
0: sorry, <laughs> No, th- this is another, th- but this is it. You know what? We're leaving it there because yeah, you, everybody you went, you watching went, this movie John is going to have network. their own thoughts. John went They're full network f- during this segment. <laughs> there's so much more we could even talk about on top of that, but we got to go for now. It is time for Dave to get a random year generator out, especially That's now that Regal is fucking out and AMC is going to be out as soon oh as God. Tenet. Ha <laughs> <laughs> we got to say Tenant at least once. <laughs> as soon as they leave the theater, Tenant. Uh, yeah, anyway, so we're going to keep doing the random year generator. But Let's now. see what happens.
3: All right. That's the wrong button.
0: <laughs> you want to gush? We're gushing about that. Uh, <laughs> no, no gushes for, 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 for no. network Three somehow. For-
1: waiting so patiently for this
3: noise (laughs) (laughs) right we just kill time amongst ourselves it's fine oh we're doing a back to the future year shut up
1: 1955
3: that's a good year
1: too I'm excited
0: um what a fucking year I think I already have my front runner and it is not Oklahoma (laughs) people we will see you after this break after we deliberate what films we're going to do next week we'll see you in a second to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger's second first film. (laughs) Stay hungry. Hey, we're back! We're back. Yay. Here we go. Oh my... Yes! Okay, we are going to announce which films from the film year 1955 we will be discussing on next week's podcast at the end of this segment, so stick around, but first friends, you've got to stay hungry! Stay hungry. We are about to talk about the film that is our redemption of the week, or, as it's also known colloquially around this podcast, was it really that bad? This film is Stay Hungry. This is 1976. It stars Jeff Bridges, Sally Field, and Arnold Schwarzenegger.
3: So effectively, this should be Can You Watch It Without Subtitles?
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's the third bill, Dave. He doesn't have all the lines. It was directed by Bob Rafelson, who famously directed Jack Nicholson and Co. in Five Easy Pieces about six years before. So Jeff Bridges had his big breakout in The Last Picture Show. Sally Field was in The Flying Nuns and a couple other films, although Smokey and the Bandit would be the next year, 1977. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger was in Hercules in New York in 1970, and then somehow they decided to try to forget about that and gaslight the public by pretending like this was his first film because it said, and introducing Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was like, "Nah." He's already been introduced by this I mean, point. No anyway, te-
3: Technically, this was the first film he entirely started. And the original print of Hercules in New York had and someone else dubbed the lines over the.
2: Oh, the wow. film. interesting. Yeah.
0: It wasn't until later that's,
3: releases that they, they used the original dialogue.
2: That's
0: Ooh. clever. Uh, he also won a Golden Globe for Best Newcomer in a category that was removed because it's weird category. The pitch. Probably because of stay- this film.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the pitch for Stay Hungry is. What would it be like to work out in a gym with a Confederate flag? I think that's the pitch for this uh, <laughs> this film. Uh, no, the pitch uh, for this film is uh, so-called. That's actually hold on. I have to start over again because that's literally the, the beginning of the IMDb pitch. So-called quote special agent end quote infiltrates into the gym which is targeted by a dirty business fraud. I don't even like the grammar of this introduction to this movie. How We're on that? to a really yeah, bad start.
3: The first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is where Dodgeball got its plot from. But it's really not. Yeah,
0: kind of. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, fuck, fuck IMDb for a second. It has a 5.6 yeah. in IMDb. So this movie is about Jeff Bridges, who is living in his parents' shadow. Also, it's a documentary. Anybody? Just kidding. His famous parents. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Jeff Bridges, his parents died in a plane crash. And now he has literally a plantation in Birmingham, Alabama that has it, it's it's not the most for like 2020. As far as like the racial dynamic, I don't think we really knew what we were getting into when we chose this film. We probably should have thought more about that. Uh, but anyway, he basically lives in a house that um, is a very big house on a lot of land in Birmingham, Alabama. That was definitely a plantation. And um, he also is involved in the family business, which is apparently corporate rating. Um, where they go in and they try to buy out a bunch of buildings and then sell it to high-rises. Um, so his assignment is he has to go to a gym because they have bought all the businesses around the gym, and once they buy the gym, they'll own the entire block so they can demolish it and build a high-rise in downtown Birmingham and sell it for commercial real estate purposes, and everybody will make a ton of money. It's also about Jeff Bridges dealing with what it's like to be the legacy in a very racist and very crude sexist country club in Birmingham. And he gets smitten by both a girl and a guy, not sexually, I suppose, to Arnold, but at the gym. So Sally Field is working at the gym and he becomes romantically involved in her, with her. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is working out because he wants to win the Mr. Olympus World Prize, which is basically a fancy way of saying... The Mister Universe Award, um, mm. and so it's like a local. It's just like a it, yes to, to the dodgeball um, example. That, that's not that's not off the shelf. That is in play. The dodgeball. It, it reference. is. It
3: is once the movie starts. Like once that goes starts, out the window. Instead of
0: instead of throwing wrenches at him, they actually throw weights at him. While he's climbing up the stairs. If you can dodge a weight.
3: <laughs> yeah, that did go through you. my head when that scene happened. Yeah. So at that point, anything, everything was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So,
0: so, big pitch, especially in this time. It's definitely very Southern. Um, and, and I guess it's Jeff Bridges playing with. He could be a part of old Alabama and just exploit it for money. Including all like the nasty stuff going on sociopolitically. Or he could be a part of the new generation of birmingham you know fighting for change and fighting for the younger man maybe i'm giving it too much credit that, i don't know that's what the <laughs> yeah, movie's about it's kind of fun way <laughs> too much credit.
2: It's very political. <laughs> all yeah.
0: right all right i'm gonna i'm gonna since i'm in charge apparently let's go ahead john why don't you start all
2: right so all right,
0: save see. some of the fun all <laughs> right so dave's ready to speak <laughs>
1: I think I had more fun watching this movie because pretty quickly I just accepted the fact this is the prequel to The Big Lebowski.
2: <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah.
1: Before yeah. this guy, like, becomes the dude, as he, like, flakes away from his privilege and just eventually, I guess, he just hitchhikes west into California and just becomes the dude. Because I was I like,
3: there was so... dare an, I mean, if you put seen... these two films in the same sentence? I
1: mean, come on. <laughs> I feel like Jeff Bridges was definitely giving you some Dude definitely giving you some dude
3: he
1: yeah, was
2: probably in high as a fucking kite to make
3: this movie
2: <laughs> i don't know
0: i probably I would have don't, been too. <laughs> he was in his 20s he had already he, he was a star you know i don't think yet. i
1: hated it as much as you did um i didn't you know i didn't love it or like it really but it didn't bother me quite so much um <laughs>
2: best I, review I, I ever I,
1: Yeah. I like Bob Rafelson's movies. They're kind of weird. I like Five Easy Pieces a lot. I think Five Easy Pieces is regarded as a great film. I think a lot of people see it and they don't like it as much as they want to. And then, um, uh, what is the next one he did right after that? The King of Marvin Marvin Gardens. Gardens. Yeah, let's see. The uh, the the director and co-writer went
3: on to such classics as Tales of Erotica, Porn.com, Wet, and the Lionel Richie music video for All Night Long
0: all night long yeah um, there were a couple of others, but for comedy i'm censoring him he he produced the monkeys in the 60s he did
1: there were a few things about it i don't know so yeah i guess like with his movies in general like i don't really think of them as whole movies i think of them as like little sequences so there were some sequences that i actually did like that random for no reason at all hillbilly jam sesh
0: (laughs) Yeah, that, that was awesome. The was Conrad dancing? Twitty origin story. <laughs> that
1: guy, that guy, that one shot that just for, for just because they clearly were like, that guy's a really good dancer. That one shot where Jeff Bridges yeah. is leaning against a tree and the dancing guy comes up behind him. <laughs> I thought that yeah. was fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> like, I really wasn't. And the kid the just starts playing the right violin.
0: The kid just starts playing the fiddle. And then yeah. slowly so, but surely, everybody just shows up in the frame playing instruments. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: Yeah,
3: I'm just dancing. Yeah. I'm not going to fuck you.
1: <laughs> there was. I know. I, I, I know. I know. There was a lot of white trash stuff, but it, it was more endearing to me than I think it probably was, it sounds like to you, Dave. It didn't. It, it was the racist stuff it was, was more racist, endearing and to of me. course that's fucked up, but it didn't bother me. And there me was some the sexist way. stuff
0: that Jeff Bridges, today he would have to sign a waiver for the shit he was doing to Sally Field. Now, Sally Field is a fucking awesome actress. She's incredible in this movie. She's a great woman. But there was a lot of like grabbing and a lot of like pushy stuff that. I don't know. Actors would be just hesitant to do that nowadays for sure. And so it's a visceral experience watching it, I guess is a nice way of saying it because you can't watch it and not be like, Oh my God, he literally just grabbed Sally field and like tossed her off to the side. Like you could never get away with that anymore. you are talking
1: specifically about when he comes up on her at
3: the country club and
1: she's dancing with the other guys a couple of times. He does it
0: all the time.
3: The screen goblin website described this film as if gone in the wind and boogie nights had a car crash. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <That's> so good,
0: <laughs> guys did you know arnold schwarzenegger played the fiddle because he fucking yeah. fiddles in this movie is that, is that real dude no it's not real at <laughs> no all no way no but he but but kudos to arnold because he got the fingering right
1: yeah, he wasn't like he actually was doing playing something with the fingering
0: you know when you watch guitar players it. and you're like come on just fake the chords just pretend and like he, arnold actually like pretended to finger and you know what kudos to him kudos he, he was That's not hired for his fiddle playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Dave, tell us your favorite parts of this movie. We'll yeah, Dave, go off, dude, go order. off. You fucking right, go strap yourself five to one.
3: in, because holy fuck, man. What, Why what? did you hate like, this movie so much? I mean, I, I sat there and I, I watched this with my wife, and I, can I just say, I'm sorry, my Therese. Wife. Please unpack the suitcase from the door. I'm sorry dude, even, we watched this film. I don't,
0: even try, I don't even try to show Chloe the Redemption films, unless except for Cats. I tried. I mean,
3: didn't make it before. dude, I, the one highlight of this film was my recognition of like, holy crap, that's Robert England. Um, yeah! And I was yeah. like, because Robert England plays a, a a small part in this film. But uh-huh. it was like, why did they suddenly make one guy sing his lines for a second and then never do it again? <laughs> and like the movie starts with like, okay, there's a random horse riding scene. Followed by a random driving race scene Followed by a scene where we blatantly explain the plot of the movie Which is a plot that doesn't turn up again for about a fucking hour Yeah, I think that's right And then that that, that fight scene at the end is hilarious Nothing gels in the entire film It starts in one place, it goes somewhere else And I'm pretty sure they rolled some dice or threw some fucking chicken bones To decide what was happening (laughs) in the emotional level in the next scene
0: yeah, I would say it really wishes it was like the conservative Jefferson Davis loving graduate. You know, the graduate,
3: I would but, not put um, that in the same sentence either. You know, the graduate. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if you remove, I mean,
0: maybe, maybe he's not, he's not in love with the mom necessarily, but just that, like I have so much money and it makes me sad. Kind oh, but of if you remove
3: that- the scenes that are totally pointless, this movie would run for 17 fucking
2: minutes. <laughs>
0: He said he said he was going through a hard time. The past two years he was traveling just killing shit. He was just on a hunting trip for two years, and he said his life was really. I mean, hard. By, the Jeff, time, like,
3: Jeff, by the time, like seriously, by the time we got to like forty eight minutes in, I was ready to turn it off. Like it just it got borderline offensive. wasn't wasn't Sal- it was definitely offensive. Wasn't Sally yeah. field good though? Sally field was good, but was I mean, she was also extremely taken advantage of. Yeah, they exploited her it, yes, quite a bit. I did not. I did not definitely. plan on this seeing Dolly Field naked with, in my life. Yeah, this did <laughs> not sit well it, with it, me. At all. Nothing behind, in this movie sat behind. well with me. Like there was. That so was much- that was our that was our Lincoln's first lady. That was
1: Mary Todd, <laughs> her, the mother of our country. I and did not expect. To when you see get that. to an hour
3: and fifteen, I'm serious, and I've never said this before on this podcast. Turn this off. Just turn <laughs> what it off. Part is that? That's just before they take the two women back to the. That was super that, awkward. Like, it was, it had no point being in the movie. It was ridiculously overtly sexual. It was exploitive. It's, it was like, yeah. it was offensive. This whole I fucking movie, no what they- on some level or another, it all ways through, is fucking offensive.
0: I don't know what the character Newton was doing in that scene. He tied her down and then started like playing cards with her and reading her tarot and then put her in a tanning bed while she was tied down. It was while she was in like nothing. It was really strange. Yeah. Also, people mm-hmm. aren't going to watch this and stop at an hour 15. They're just not going to watch the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would
3: definitely say like this movie has elements that are stereotypically racist, misogynistic, sexist, and it probably yeah. should have stayed buried in obscurity. Mm. The,
0: the misogyny was really weird for me, especially knowing that it's Sally Field. And, and I know I, if, if I hadn't listened to a very in-depth Sally Field podcast, I, I would have thought her life started at Smoking the Bandit. I didn't realize she already had a 10-year career by that point. Um, including the flying nuns and a bunch of other TV jobs oh, and even some other movie great. jobs. Yeah. So she, she had been doing work for a long time. She was in the actor studio LA. So she was in the mix. Like she was a star to be. And again, as I said before, just right around where she's turning 30. So she's 10 years in the business and Jeff Bridges is just grabbing her and throwing her and, and she's not wearing a lot of clothes and she has to flirt with guys to make him jealous. And it's like all this misogyny and, and, and how it doesn't make I, sense. I try to ride. I try to ride the line a lot in realism with history because it's like It's historically accurate. If you're in Birmingham in the early 70s, yeah, come on, you guys. Like we can't, we can't watch clubs, it. It's, like it's 2020. I mean, no, I know, but but, but it's, but it's this hard. was coming off of, that yeah, I'm the, not going to watch the, Birth. I'm not going to watch is, Birth of a Nation right now. No, the now, thing you know? is, there, so are simil- like,
3: there are similar, themes in Taxi Driver, and they pulled them off at a point that transcends all of that.
0: Yeah, I think Whereas so too. Whereas I, this, I don't think this was just
3: blatant and. I I mean, the whole movie didn't make sense. Yeah, though, in Taxi Driver, he was like... I mean, they had a huge...
1: They had a huge uh, advantage that their lead protagonist was against that kind of stuff. So, like, it wasn't just that it was happening in front of you. You had the the safety net of feeling like Travis also was disgusted by it as much as you were as a modern audience Mm. member. I just... I will say, like... Again, I'm not defending it, but, like, Rafelson and that crew definitely came out of, like,
3: the sexual renaissance of the 60s.
1: And I think... Yeah, I mean, true. At Don't that get time, me wrong.
3: Like, I'm the first person to, like, defend it was made in that era, it was a different time, that sort of thing. Like, I, I have taken that position on this podcast before, but this crossed the fucking line for me. It was just too yeah. much. It was too so much. close, was too, lot.
0: because, because that like, when people are intimate let's say and and they are naked and in, in bed or whatever it, it's always weird when they're just fully clothed and walking you know you could you you, remi- you remember that you're watching a movie so it's a hard line to draw like sometimes we don't see her from the front but sally field getting up and going and looking at a picture not clothed but you, you see her from behind and yeah maybe you see too much of her but like at least that there's there's realism in that in a sense because that would probably be more like what would happen in real life rather than the person's wearing a full nightie. Or, you know what I mean? Or, like, a onesie or something that is, like, more um, sensitive to the actress. So, it's, like, it's it's a hard line to, to to toy. And and I think this movie is very entertaining, but that is the thing that I'm stuck with the most. Not I know what even you mean. the I know what ending, which is what you said before, which is all the guys from the Mr. Olympus, which is basically all the, the bodybuilders, in Speedos, in a fight yeah, in they're, public. they're objectified a little And they just start flexing bit. on caps. It's I mean... Yeah, no, I know, yeah, but yeah. And I it's also and not it's sure. also It is entertaining. I'm also not sure...
1: I wasn't sure when I was watching it if we were supposed to be, you know, because sometimes it's hard to go back in that time capsule. I wasn't sure if we were supposed to to judge Jeff Bridges for how he was treating her because he was, that I was, like I thought I was supposed to. I thought I was supposed to see like this rich, privileged white guy that was trying to kind of slum it with people in this gym, specifically her and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And yet, he was still the same. The way he behaved, he was very similar to those assholes who were clearly assholes in the country club. So I kind yeah, of thought true. we were supposed to feel that way, which is why he ultimately fails at creating any kind of real relationship with either of them.
2: Yeah, true. I'm, see, just,
1: I'm, I'm not saying we were supposed to enjoy watching that, but I do think that I didn't, that they I didn't were get conscious any of that
3: of nuance at all. Really? Just, yeah, I, I was just I don't know. offended I kind by of most of this film.
0: I think I could see them going. I did for feel it. that.
3: I did feel that way.
1: I, I was. But I'm, I'm it was sort still of hard on board watch. with
0: you, John. I'm sort of on board with you in that I was entertained at at parts of this film for sure.
3: Like but- literally, the only part of this film I liked was right at the end when they're out in the street. They're like, <laughs> they want us. They want us to do like poses. He's like, well, we may as well. And Hold they on, start posing me, in the street yeah. and riding on buses. Liked, and
1: tell me you liked my favorite part of this movie <laughs> was when. The Mister Universe Olympus. What I, I thought it was the Mister. I thought it was Mister Universe. I thought the actual name of the competition yeah. was in re, Mr. in Universe. real
0: life. But I think in this it was Mount Olympus. No, no, no. The name popped, of the right? gym
1: was the Olympus Gym, but the competition yeah. was Mister Universe. It was from Mister oh, uh, Universe. Still was? Yeah. Anyway, oh. so when it's Arnold versus the drinking. other guy, they have their in sequence poses. You've been audience, drinking. film fans, <laughs> when they're doing things in sequence together, they're mirroring each other in their yeah, poses for the official qualification and the the judges. Yeah. And then they start funny. going off afterwards and improving on poses. Yeah, and the that's announcer funny. walks up. <laughs> the announcer walks up and goes, All right, break it up, you two. <laughs>
2: like they're having <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah, a
1: pose yeah. off.
3: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that fucking killed me. I I mean oh, yeah, I, I slowly, actually looked yeah. up a couple of things. I read some review about like it finally gets to the the bodybuilding competition you were promised. I'm like,
0: really?
1: That yeah. you were promised? Like, you Is that were what
0: promised? You mean? <laughs> yeah, that like. Come this, on, you didn't want to was, see Arnold I,
1: take his clothes off. He's been he's been dressed up like Batman the
0: time. Yeah. They did a good job. He was dressed up as Batman the whole time.
3: What are you talking about?
0: No, he did. They, they did a pretty good job of, of delaying it to try to keep you keep you hanging on. I mean, the, the voiceover way, was tough what, for me. It is, was so southern. It sounded like an SNL sketch. It really did the voiceover sounded like an SNL the sketch. The weird
1: intro. Also, intro, I wrote down this outro.
0: note. If anybody could explain this to me, my note was, is that guy getting his taint massaged? I don't know why I write these notes and I assume I'm going to remember exactly what I was talking about. Is that guy getting his taint massaged? I'm pretty sure Thor was getting a massage and, and they were getting up in, up in there for sure. And then the response is, business causes tension. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know uh, what that Jeff? means. Those are my notes. <laughs>
1: I know we're making fun of it, but I, I thought that fight at the end was like... I'm not making was, fun of it. I, I fucking hated
0: crazy.
1: it. <laughs> okay. Damn, Dave really hated this movie, you guys.
0: Yeah, it's not the best. I also wrote the klepto scene. I don't remember what the klepto scene is, but it's it's funny. No, I am very oh, aware. Jeff just listened. stole a picture Dave, for no reason. Second beer Dave of this segment. Dave, listen you talk
1: about this. Listening to you talk about this, it's making me feel extra guilty because, as Jeff and I have admitted, I did not watch this with a woman in the room. And I feel like maybe I was a piece of shit because I didn't judge this as hard as I should have. I mean, it's sad,
3: it's sad <laughs> we're not recording this because at one point I looked around at my wife and she just literally had the O face. It was like her mouth was yeah. wide open. She was like, she was like what like, the, what fuck, the is fuck is happening? What the is happening? Now, yeah. let me just give you a little snapshot
1: and of uh, Bob Rafelson. And again, I can't tell if this is the Times. This is Ellen Bernstein telling this story. So in the King of Marvin Gardens, Marvin's Gardens, she turned 40 when they were making it and she was distraught and she was having like this terrible day. So to cheer her up, Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson went to her hotel room, knocked on the door. She opened the door and they were standing there completely naked with a birthday cake. And she thought it was hilarious. And she had them in and they had they got drunk and they had a fun time and they all got naked and she's like hung out and stuff. So I don't know if things sometimes, you know, looking back. I can't tell if, like, am I supposed... Is this weird? Did Sally Field feel super uncomfortable and women in that time period always felt super uncomfortable? I don't think Sally Field did
3: feel super uncomfortable, but, like, again, like I said, I'm watching this as a modern audience now.
1: Right, that doesn't make it
3: okay. No, you're right, you're right. And, like, this entire film is not fucking okay with
0: me at all. Right. For me, it wasn't the demeanor; <laughs> it was the grabbiness of it. It was—it was just very handsy.
3: It's, it's it, like—it's the, the grabbiness. It's the random scenes. It's the fact that like you not like people are reacting differently from one scene to another, and it's like fucking make up your mind. How are they going to react? No, you're totally well, was right. right. It's, it's funny you're mess. saying that though, with the grabbiness,
1: because I was—I think I was the, out of this whole week. I think it was the most uncomfortable when De Niro wouldn't let Civil Shepard leave the theater and he kept grabbing her yeah, you trying to, like, oh, you yeah, have to talk yeah. to me, you have to talk to me. I think that offended me more than, than this movie did just because I wasn't taking it as seriously, but I hear you guys, you're totally right. This movie is definitely <laughs> made by erect <laughs> right. penises. Yeah. Oh this, my um, God. I,
3: like it takes a lot for me to say, don't watch a movie. But I'm seriously saying, do not watch this
0: fucking I movie. Think, I think everybody who's been listening to this segment for the last 20 minutes knows to not watch this movie. And, uh, also, But here, the big takeaway, if you've made it this far, <laughs> if you're in a gym and there's a Confederate flag, I don't care if it's the 70s or 2000 fucking 80. <laughs> get the fuck out of there. Why you are they the working out? out of there. Yeah, flag, you're going to get gym. some
3: weights thrown at you at some point.
0: Get out of there. Get out. Get out. Oh yeah, my gosh. Also, that, that country club does but not look fun.
1: Realistic as well. Anyway, moving
0: on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that for sure. All right. Well, you know what? We, we've done all we could for this film. That's not true. We didn't do all we could. For yeah, this we didn't film. burn we, it. Just we really didn't, didn't even try. You're welcome, <laughs> audience. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, Sally Field, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can decide for yourself. It's out there for rent somewhere. We're going like to move is, on to next yeah. week. 1955 is the year of James Dean. It is. It's just what it is. He had *East of Eden* and *Rebel Without a Cause* come out this year. *Giant* came out the following year, and he died in 1955. So this is the James Dean year, 1955. So we are going to start with *Rebel Without a Cause*. You may know it from all of the posters <laughs> of people with the quote, "Get busy living and get busy dying." Or that's not it. That's *Shawshank*. It's um, <laughs> Jesus. It's um, uh, what is it? What's the quote? The quote huh? is. Is it what
1: he tells the cop? I don't know oh, what quote you're talking about. Live each
0: about. day. Like it's your last day. Dream like you'll live Fucking forever. man. I had the poster in my goddamn
1: <laughs> room <laughs> Live each day like it's your last and dream as though you'll right. live forever. What, what's, our, what's
0: the next movie we're doing, John? Do you remember? Next movie no. we're doing is Diablique. <laughs> Diablique. <laughs> Diablique. Diablique. It's a foreign yeah.
3: film, it's a French film. <laughs> By, uh, apparently, I'm also the yeah. only person that makes fucking notes during our I
1: asked you if you wrote it down. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to forget this.
0: I just wanted to call him out. And, <laughs> and then our bad movie. Diableek. Diabeek? Diableek? Diableek. 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 The KRC. The KRC. It's a Q-U-E. It's a Q-U-E. Jesus. Diableek. It's the French and then spelling. Our Fuck, thanks, film. Reagan.
2: Mm. Our redemption
0: <laughs> film is going to be a really fucking fun monster film. And Dave is going to announce the name of it right now. The
3: monster film we're doing is Bride of the Monster, with Bella Lugosi. Sense, right?
0: Yes, Bella Lugosi. Come on, come see us next week, film fans. Wait, hold on, what, real fast. Know? Let's.
1: Do, I kind of yeah. wanted to start doing this uh, just for everyone to know. Diabolik is available on Prime if you want to join us, and yeah. Rebel yeah. is available on um, HBO, Max. HBO Max. And you'd have to rent.
3: Uh, it's on Pluto <laughs> TV. Bride of the movie. Monsters yeah, on, Pluto, on TV. Pluto TV. You can download yeah, Pluto so they're TV available and watch the to watch
1: if <laughs> yeah. you want to. Yeah, join with us. That was fun. Join what with a us, film fans. Year, It's 1976. I can't believe we got to watch two of the greatest movies ever made in one week. Yeah. That was fantastic.
0: Yeah, what a contrast, two and one. Yeah. yeah. I We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us, film fans. Dave, have fun finishing that bear. We'll see <laughs> yeah. you soon. I'm a human being. God
2: damn it! My life has value. <laughs>